Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all again. Just before we get started, if there's anyone new here or here for the first time, um, we do just have a little pack down the back. Um, so either you can uh, grab one now or grab one at the end. Thanks, Kirk. Cool. So I don't see anything better to do than to get straight into it tonight. So as a community, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And like we heard last week, the book of Ephesians, does anyone know what the ultimate purpose or what is contained within the book of Ephesians? Revelation, yes. There was one key point. What is it that the book of Ephesians points towards? What was that? The eternal purpose. The eternal purpose of God. So I hope that you all had your ears tuned in, and now that Rochelle's mentioned it, you remember. <laughs> Thanks, Rochelle. So this is part two um, of Ephesians chapter one. And I think the unique thing about this series is that we're not just doing a Bible study. We're not, it's not just a good idea to, to work through the scriptures because we've got nothing better to do, nothing better to look at. This is something that God has placed on our hearts because what he wants to do is draw out not just scriptural truths. He wants to draw out his primary intention for why this book was written. And that's what we're going after week by week, line by line, precept upon precept, as a community, we're interested in knowing not just something about God, but we're interested in knowing who God truly is. And this man, Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, had a knowledge of God that we're to have also. And so we, when we read the book of Ephesians, we can't just interpret it through our minds. We can't just think, oh, you know, or, or study the Greek and the Hebrew, we need to know what it was that the Holy Spirit was birthing and bringing through these words. You know, it says that no prophecy is a matter of man's own interpretation. And this book is a book of prophecy. It's a prophetic book. And we're a prophetic people. So when we read this, it's not open for interpretation. It's only open for divine inspiration by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're after tonight. So I just, I just feel like even in that statement, totally unprepared, there's a divine life that is pulsating through this series that's for us. So Father, we just pray again, Father, open our hearts and our minds to receive your divine truth the way that you intended it. From the beginning of creation to the end, you have a plan and purpose for your church that is us, for us to come into. So, Father, I pray, like Paul prayed, that divine utterance will be given this evening in both the speaking and the receiving of the gospel. In Jesus' name. Cool. So the eternal purpose of God, that's what this is all about. And I think today, or what's been on my heart over the last two weeks, is I couldn't get away from just two verses. So... We're going to have a look at those two. I might actually read it from the start so you get the context of last week, and then we'll move into verses 5 and 6. So Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 1, title, The Blessings of Redemption. Wasn't that awesome last week? 
Isn't that statement just filled with divine intention, the blessings of redemption? Not the blessings of your earthly life, not the blessings of a nice family, not the blessings of a nice life, the blessings of redemption. And Greg preached last week, and here's one of these verses. He said, Bless me. Oh, let me just read it and then we'll get into it. All right, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just found that chin microphone. <laughs> All right, where are we in? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. What a statement. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us and the beloved. So like I was saying, Greg preached last week about the blessings that we've received in the heavenly places. And you need to understand that the blessings of God in their ultimate form are not earthly blessings. We might use earthly typologies, we might speak about earthly things, but ultimately, the blessings of God are heavenly and eternal. They hold more weight than the things of this earth. They have more grunt. They've got more power than any earthly thing that we could ever hope or wish for. And so verse 5 is where we're going to start tonight. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. He predestined us. Now that word predestined is one of the most significant and yet misunderstood words probably in almost all of Christian history. If anyone studied Christian history here before, you'll see this common theme that's caused division amongst the church of God throughout all the ages. Are we predestined or do we have free will? Well, the scholars have argued and argued and created denomination after denomination based on this one point. Are we predestined or do we have free will? Now, this one statement and the impact and the negative consequence that this has had on the church highlights why we as the people of God have to rightly divide the word of God. And to rightly divide the word of God, we're actually not separating it. We're uniting it. Isn't that an oxymoron? To rightly divide the word of God, you must unite the word of God. Steph, can you please just pass me that drink bottle? Thank you. It's as easy as that. You just saw predestination and free will in full flight. The Heavenly Father from the beginning of the ages knew that this moment would happen. I would start wandering over to Steph. I think she's really the person I know the best at this table, except for my sister, who I just see now. 
and I'd ask her for a drink bottle. She didn't have to give it. It's hers. It's not mine. But I asked and she gave it. It was sore. God saw. He knew that was going to happen. But she still had to do it. Is that a mystery? Or is that just so ridiculously simple that sometimes we miss it? That God would both predestine us and give us free will is to truly divide the living word, the word of truth. God isn't two, he's one. And so to divide the word, we have to take not just one side. Rightly dividing it is not dividing between who's right and who's wrong. It's coming into the life that is behind the word. And the church throughout the ages in fighting over doctrine have missed the eternal and divine weight of truth of our predestined adoption as sons and daughters of God. Imagine if we put our time, our energy, our focus, imagine if we meditated on the fact that we've been predestined before ages past to be adopted as sons of God. What would the church look like if that was her operating system, that she received the living word of God like that, received it for what it really was, the power unto salvation that would enlighten the eyes of the hearts of the church to the posture of being truly adopted in him. Can you imagine if we had spent ages past meditating on that truth and passing that on from generation to generation? Who would we be right now? So I hope tonight that there's going to be a foundation laid and set in stone that the word of God comes by revelation of the Spirit. You can't understand it in your carnal mind. You can't interpret it this way or that. You have to receive it, and it has to come through revelation. And in fact, the church is built on the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the first point, the first verse, or verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself. Adoption as sons. So I've put here, if you're writing notes, just jot this down. All of these points will be ridiculously simple. We must know that we are sons of God in order to live in the eternal purpose that God has for us as his church. It's almost like saying you must be a son or daughter to be part of the family. It's, it's really that simple. And yet, in the simplicity of God's intention is such a weight, a wealth of knowledge, not head knowledge, living mana for us to come into. Understanding our adoption as sons is foundational to entering into the eternal purposes of God. And in fact, the book of Ephesians is all about the inheritance that the adopted sons are to come into. So let's have a look at Romans 8. It's one of the most famous verses on adoption. So Romans 8, verses 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Interesting. You have not 
received a spirit. You have not received a spirit. You have not received a spirit. Did you just pick up, sorry, just the word receive? Did you note that? Did you hear that one? Yep, cool. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, ears also, ears of God and fellow ears with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So once again we see in this passage the unity of God as he's bringing truth to us. He says this, And if children, ears also. If children, ears also. If you're an heir of God, you're a child of God. If you're a child of God, you're an heir of God. And this is the book of Ephesians, the inheritance of the saints. Got another scripture for you, 1 Peter 1.4. We'll come back to Romans 8 in a little bit. One Peter, one, verse four. Actually, we'll start at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There, once again, you've got your unity. Born again, children of God. We've been born again to a living hope to receive an inheritance that's unfailing and will not pass away. So, to give you an example, what, what is an inheritance? So I, I just think of a time in my life where I received this letter in the mail from my granddad, and it went something like this. Grandma is emptying out her bank account. Do you remember this, Rosie? <laughs> Grandma is emptying out her bank account. And this is for you, or something along those lines. <laughs> in classic granddad style, it's always grandma who makes the decisions and calls the shots. <laughs> but grandma's em emptying out her bank account. And so Rosalie and I and my other brother and sister, we received an inheritance. We received something from them. And now you might be thinking, cool story, bro. It's... it's it's nice that you've received some money from your, from your grandparents. And actually, that's the attitude that we can have towards the eternal inheritance that is for the saints and the sons of God. That if we come here week after week and we listen and we hear, it's almost like we're listening about someone, about Greg standing up the front and sharing 
about his inheritance that he's receiving from his grandma. But we actually don't believe that we're part of that same family. Imagine if you received a letter in the post from me tomorrow saying, hey, you know that inheritance I was talking with you about yesterday that I just received from my grandparents? Actually, that's for you. Oh, that's going to change things. Sorry, what? Oh, what, sorry, what do I get? Is it money or are they giving me the car or is the house being divided up? Or And all of a sudden you're sitting on the edge of your seat. <laughs> what am I going to get out of it? And so why did I receive the inheritance? I wasn't the star grandchild necessarily. The inheritance was the same for everyone. And yet it was administered not on the basis of human works of goodness but on the basis of being a son being born into this family was the only criteria for me receiving amongst our family there's some who i don't know depending on how you judge it <laughs> we've got one of our cousins who is a tattoo artist and that's a big no-no <laughs> for our white middle class <laughs> as if that's the be you know that's the epitome of like rebellion <laughs> and yet the inheritance that he received was identical to the inheritance that i received because it's not according to the basis of some sort of law of goodness it's about what you're being born into it's about receiving an inheritance that's from our father and so it's absolutely essential that you see yourself in the scriptures because that you see yourself as a son of God. Because if you don't see yourself as a son, you'll read the scriptures and you'll think that the inheritance in there is for someone else and not you. And likewise, you'll read it and you'll think the discipline and the instruction and the correction is for someone with an attitude that's not yours. Actually, you've got to check your own attitude. Because this in here is a mirror, both for you and who you were, and for who Christ is, which is who you're becoming. So we have to see ourselves as being children of God. If you don't, if you don't realize that you've been adopted, as a child of God, you will always be on the outside. You'll, always, you'll read it and it will be absolutely and totally boring. It'll be such a drag every time, discipleship group, coming to a Sunday service, getting up early, because you don't realize you're a son. And these pages are loaded with the details of a divine inheritance for the sons and the children of God. And just like you're on, you'd be on the edge of your seat if I was telling you that I was about to divide up a multi-million dollar mansion between you and your brother, are we sitting on the edge of our seats with divine expectation, with what something that is greater than money, greater than gold, greater than houses, of more value, of more worth, something that's unperishing, something that's eternal, something that will never pass away. You know, Jesus, he says, buy for yourselves money belts 
that don't wear out. Don't put your treasure where moth and thief will break in and steal. Store for yourself treasures and riches in heaven. But if you're not a son, how will you know that those treasures and those riches are for you? Because you won't see yourself as being divinely connected, relationally connected as part of the household and the family of God, able to receive an inheritance, not on the basis of your goodness, but on the basis of his great love and mercy towards us. And likewise, there's an inheritance that's given, but there's also an inheritance that needs to be received, grasped, and walked out. First you've got to receive it, and then you've got to live it out. Because what good is it to have that money in the bank and not use it, hey? And so when you start to read scriptures about an inheritance that's given and a faithfulness that's required, if you haven't come back to the foundation of sonship in Christ, you'll read those scriptures not on the basis of a gift that's been given and a faithfulness. You'll read it on the basis of a law that you have to fulfill if you're even going to receive the inheritance. And all of a sudden, the eternal purpose of God is compromised for a legalistic way of operating that brings no life. You'll be performing for God to somehow try and receive an inheritance where he's saying, you've already received it. Now live in it. And the judgment is not a judgment for our behavior. It's a judgment for whether we've actually received the eternal gift of God and entered into it, lived it out in a way that's actually pleasing to him. It's a completely different mindset. So that's why I see this evening as being a foundational teaching that we all have to hear before we can move on to bigger and deeper truths that we're going to hear about, the bride of Christ, and all of these things that we're going to look at in the weeks to come. If you don't get this, you won't get that. I'm, a, I'm sorry, they may as well not come. Or actually, you've just, it's probably better you just listen to the recording <laughs> and then come with a heart of... <laughs> sorry, that came out a bit wrong. <laughs> I'm saying meditate on this. Get, get this into you. And when I say that, I don't just mean my message. I mean the, the truth behind it. Meditate on becoming a son of God because really it's not about me to, ad, to administer this or to somehow preach some sort of sparkling message that captures your attention. It's about you capturing it by the Spirit. And I hope that you'll continue to posture yourself before God to do that, not just tonight, but when you go home and throughout the rest of the week as well. So what does this look like? I have here another example that might be made a little bit redundant. Tess and I have been looking to buy a house recently and my dad came to us not long ago and he said, hey, like, I'd like to, you know, give you some money to towards the deposit. I've done the same. I'm going to do the same for all the kids. So there you go, Rosalie. Something to look forward to. <laughs> um, and it was it was really nice and really generous of him. Um, and yet that once again. How I say? So often we think of inheritance as something that you get 
when your dad dies or your parents dies, but actually the Hebrew way of thinking about it was an inheritance wasn't something that you got when someone died. It was something that you entered into and you lived out with your father while they were alive. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm living in an inheritance from my father, even though he's alive, even though I haven't bought a house yet. I don't even know if we'll end up buying a house. It's market so crazy at the moment that, you know, it's almost impossible. And yet, even though I haven't got the money in my bank account, what's happened is that that's altered the way that I view house hunting. Because now all of a sudden I've received something that I haven't worked for and it has motivated my actions. We must see inheritance. We must see this relationship with Christ, this eternal purpose, this eternal gift as something that is given to us, something that's received and not earned. I didn't earn it from my dad. And you can't earn the eternal gift of God. It's too expensive for you. You know, Paul says that you can give your body to be burned. And if you don't have love, you're nothing. The things of heaven and eternity are too much for you to pay for. They're too expensive. They're too valuable. And so that's why our pride has to be smashed to a gazillion pieces on the floor where we have to stop thinking that we've got the capacity to somehow please and earn the favor of God to receive from him. It doesn't come on that basis. It comes from a heart that is humble, a heart that is soft, that says, God, I don't have anything. That's the true poor and spirit posture that qualifies you to receive. Another example, had a young man who lived with us for a, for a little while, really likable young guy, but broken. Growing up in SIF's homes, I used to work with him through SIF's in the Ministry of Education and gone from boy's home to boy's home. And he ended up coming in and living with us for probably about um, eight or nine months, and it was a cool time. And th a lot of things had gone down, it wasn't easy. <laughs> there were some big conversations. And we had gone through this particularly rough patch where he had been, his behavior hadn't really been aligned to the behavior that we would expect under our roof in our household. And it had been a bit tense and, you know, in and amongst that, you know, we had been having some really good conversations. And he had said, you know, like, I really want to be, learn to be independent. And I was like, man, that's awesome. You know, we, we really want to be able to support you to be independent, you know. Um, he was a young man, he wasn't a kid. And so in, independence was a really healthy and good thing for him. And so Tess had this, like, I think it was a, re it was a divine idea. And she said, like, he didn't have any bedding. So you just use our old, old bedding. I said, well, let's go and buy him some, some sheets and a duvet cover and a pillowcase and, and set him up. And so he went away and, um, and, you know, Tess went out and bought the things and then we, we gave them to him. And he was completely staggered by by this gift and he didn't know how to receive it and so he said oh man like it's man this is so nice of you guys i'll 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 go and i'll pay for it I'll, i'm going to get the money in a couple of weeks time let me let me pay for it and i was like no honestly bro don't need the money he's like well i'll get you a gift then i'll get something for you in return 
And this can be us as the church. When the gift is so incredible and so undeserved that we reject it because of our pride. And you know, this young guy, a few days later, he came back to me. And he, and he said this, he said, he said, I don't understand. He said, I don't understand why you care about me when you have your own family now. And I was like, what? You know, like we used to hang out when I was, when I was young and had all the time in the world. And he said, but you've got your own family now. Why do you care about me still? And there's something about the gift of God that breaks you. And this young man had a broken heart. And there was something about this that was the father speaking, the spirit of adoption that came through recognizing. And it messed him up big time. Because his if it was about his behavior, he wouldn't have qualified for that. But it wasn't about behavior. It was about adoption. And he was as much my son as my own flesh and blood. And I treated him like that. Now, not, not because we are super spiritual, but because I've been adopted. And I know what it means to be broken. I know what it means to be a Christian and grow up in the church and have a deep emptiness. Not because I didn't have parents that didn't love me. I had the best parents ever. But there's something about the human heart that desperately needs the love of the Father. And so he tasted something that was of heaven that day. And it wasn't the sheets. <laughs> there was something about the spirit of adoption that penetrated his heart and his mind. And we have to allow that God to have that impact on us where our pride all of a sudden is broken and we realize we desperately need to receive. So I'll come back to Ephesians. Oh, looking at the wrong book. All right. So we're on to verse 5, part B. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Just listen to those words. The kind intention of his will. When you think about the will of God, do you think kind intention? You know, back in the garden, Adam and Eve used to walk with God. And there was something that went down one of those days where another voice came in and questioned the goodness, the faithfulness, and the kind intention of God. God who had said, look, go and eat from any tree in the garden. Oh, just not this tree. And there was another voice, the serpent, who came in and said, Oh, do you know why God was saying don't eat from that tree? It's because if you eat, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. And all of a sudden, something came into the mind of man that was, Oh, 
Is he keeping something from me? Is his intention not kind? Is his intention not pure? Is he withholding something from me? I wonder if we treat the will of God like that. When we think about God and his will for our lives, and I don't just mean your individual purpose, I mean his, this is about the eternal purpose, this is about the will of God for the church, for us as his body. Do you question the kind intention of God? You know, Jesus didn't question the kind intention of God even unto death on a cross. I wonder if you've been in that position. Have you been crucified yet? Because if there's any man that walked the earth who had a reason to question the kind intention of the Lord, it's Jesus. The kind intention of his will. Everything about God and his will for us is kind and good. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees the things from eternity to eternity, and he knows what is good for us. He knows that it's better for us to pursue the purpose that he has for us as his body more than the purpose he has for us as individuals. He knows that seeking the things above, the things of heaven, are better for us than groveling in the things of earth. He knows that we can trade our birthright for a single meal. His will and his intention is kind. Everything about him is good. And so what is his will? Well, have you been here for the last 10 years? I'd recommend that you go back and have a look at Bev. There's a chapter in there saying, the will of God is not a mystery. It's a short chapter. I won't take you long to read. And so I'm not going to go into heaps of detail, but we see that in First Thessalonians 4 verse 3, it says this. It says that the will of God is your sanctification. The will of God is your transformation. The will of God is that you would recognize that you truly are a son of God and would live like one. That's what sanctification is. It's not some big, long, Christianese word. Well, it is, but it's simple. It's becoming like Christ. It's being transformed in his likeness. That's the eternal purpose and the will of God for your life. But do you see that as being according to the kind intention of God? Just a question, maybe something to ponder on. Next scripture, Hebrews 12 verse 2. We're going to dig a little deeper into what this will of God is. Oh, it's not Hebrews 12 verse 2. I've mistyped it. Um. Oh, yes. Thank you. Got the notes. 2.10. All right, Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation 
through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now that is a verse that is charged and loaded with dynamite. It was fitting for him. It wasn't a second thought. It was fitting for the God who has the kindest intention of wills. For whom are all things, through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. It was fitting. Now, if the author of our salvation had to go through sufferings to enter into this mature state. Did you know that Jesus had to mature? Did you know he had to be perfected? Disciplined even. If the author of our salvation had to go through this process, how much more the sons of God? <clears throat> but it was fitting for him to do that. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father for this reason. He is not ashamed to call them brethren. You know, God is not ashamed to call you a brother. He's not ashamed to call you his son. Are you ashamed to be a son? Are you ashamed of the consequences of being a son can have in your life? Are you ashamed of, I'm not talking about being able to say that you're a Christian in your workplace. I'm talking about the consequences of having to realign the priorities of your household and having your wife not be so happy about that. I'm talking about being ashamed of having to have hard conversations with your parents who don't see and live for the same things that you do. Do you shrink back? Are you ashamed of what this life, this power, the substance of Christ will do in you? The more we enter in, the more we won't be ashamed because he's not ashamed of us. And he's not ashamed of us in our immature state either. He is not insecure. Did you know that? God is not insecure. As the church, we're called to glorify him. And yet, he doesn't need to be glorified to fulfill his own insecurity. He needs to be glorified because that's according to the kind intention of his will for us as his body. It's the best thing for us, for our eyes to be off ourselves and onto him. And in fact, that's what repentance as sons is all about. Repentance as a son is completely different to repentance as a non-believer. It says this in John. It says that he will send the Holy Spirit and he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He'll convict the world of sin because they don't know me. Because they don't know. He'll convict the world of righteousness, it says, 
because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And judgment, because the ruler of this world stands judged or condemned. He'll convict the world of sin, but he'll convict the saints, the sons of righteousness. You're all looking at me totally blankly. This is big time. You know that God convicted his son of righteousness. Do you have a conviction of righteousness? When something happens in your life, is your default setting to shrink back into saying sorry for your sin? Or is your default setting as a son to be convicted of the righteousness that's what you are? And so the difference between this, it says, to convict the word of righteousness because I go to the Father and they, talking to the disciples, no longer see me. They no longer see me. So now conviction for the sons of God is not about saying sorry for sin. It's about sight of that which is heavenly, that which is eternal, that which you truly are by the Holy Spirit. You're convicted. Okay. I feel like this is not getting through. <laughs> so... When you say sorry, you're apologizing for who you are. You don't need to apologize for being a son. You're not apologizing saying sorry for who I am. You're saying, I'm going to fix my eyes. I'm going to reset my eyes. I'm going to allow the conviction to have my eyes focused on who I actually am in you. And I'm going to live like that from now on to the extent that you give me the power in me to do it. Does that make sense? Do you see how that's dramatically different? One empowers your inability and your sin, and the other empowers your new identity in God and his Holy Spirit to enlighten your eyes to the heavenly call to get back on track, to keep moving forward. Selah, think about it. Go home and listen to that again. All right, let's just go back to Ephesians. All right, that point felt like a bit of a labor. Let's get on to the next one. <laughs> All right, verse number six. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. This is my favorite part. To the praise of the glory of his grace. You know, there's so much talk in the church of God about the glory of God today. I've heard it said so many times. No, the church's role is to glorify God. We come here to glorify God. We sing songs to glorify God, and we do. It's all right, and it's all true, and it's all good. But what does it truly mean to glorify God, and what's the kind of glory that he's looking at in the earth that actually radiates him and speaks of him? You know, I saw this pop up the other day. Nick Fowles, have you guys heard of Nick Fowles? I hadn't heard of him either until I saw in the news about the Super Bowl. So he was the MVP quarterback. So the Super Bowl was just last week, and he was the MVP quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Turns out he's a Christian. That's great. 
And he said this in his speech. He said, so they just won the Super Bowl. And they're ecstatic. They're like, oh, my goodness. You know, they were the underdogs, and they came from behind. And righty, righty, right, and they won. It was amazing. And he said this, glory to God first and foremost. And he's talking about in the context for the win and for his, part of, for his opportunity to be, to be part of the winning team. Glory to God. God be glorified through us winning the Super Bowl. Now, when I just Googled him again, it's almost like every single Christian newspaper is like, oh my goodness, this is the pinnacle. The person, the MVP of the Super Bowl has just brought glory to God by winning the Super Bowl. Is that the eternal purpose of God for the church? Is that, the, is that the glory of God in the church? Is that the glory of God that he's looking to penetrate the earth? Is that what it means to glorify him? To achieve something in your own human strength and then to put his name on it and say you glorify him. Actually, you're glorifying yourself. I'm sorry. But Paul is talking here in Ephesians about a kind of glory that cannot be administrated by any human effort. In fact, this is the great mystery of God. It says in Colossians, does, can anyone here, does anyone remember what the great mystery of God in, that Paul talks about in Colossians is? Christ Christ in us, what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's no other hope of bringing glory to the Father, is what he's saying, apart from this process that I was describing before about having the church enter into their sonship, about having the church sanctified, transformed, changed to reflect their Father. That is the true glory of God in the church. And that, that is what this series on Ephesians is all about. The church of God entering into the eternal purpose of God. Being changed, being transformed. I think that's probably good for us here. But let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would bring to light these mysteries within us. And all the jokes and all the talk, Father, I pray that there will be something of your spirit that penetrates the living word that divides joints and marrow and is able to judge and divide the intentions of the heart. Father, let that living word find soft soil this evening and not just this evening, all of our evenings, all of our days. Let your word have its perfect work within us as you continue to enlighten our eyes to who we are in you and the incredible eternal purpose that you have for the saints, the sons of God, who are to glorify you on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. I think um, we're going to break up into groups. Yep. Um, so stay where you are. Break up into groups. Oh, yeah. Stay where you are. And Rochelle will drop off some.
Question. Oh, she's already done it. Sweet. Shot team.